this should be, I mean, I have it planned to be, if, if, it, if it needs to go a little longer, we'll go a little longer. But this should be the last class that we'll have on church discipline, and we'll get back into Second uh, Corinthians uh, homework, I guess, if you want that for next week. Uh, review Second Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, uh, if you want that for, for homework. Uh, and we'll start back into Second Corinthians next week, uh, unless we just don't get through. Uh, we've been looking at the, the who, the what, uh, the when, the why, the how of church discipline. Uh, we, we had some great discussion last week. Uh, this is where we uh, started or stopped, and, and this is where we'll start again. Uh, if you don't have one of these little tracks, raise your hand. Uh, Charles has some that in his hand that he'll pass out to you. But we're going to look at some of the, the writings that Wayne Jackson has put in here today, using it as part of our class. If you don't have one of these little tracks, just raise your hand and Charles will get you one. Uh, the who, the what, the, the when, the where, the why, the how. The when, the when of church discipline. Turn in your little track, turn in your little booklet to page, to page five. It says here uh, under the heading, the purpose of church discipline. What is the purpose in withdrawing fellowship from the disorderly? And what we're asking here, of course, is when. When do we do this? When is this appropriate? When is, is there a time when this wouldn't be appropriate? And so uh, <clears throat> what is the purpose of withdrawing fellowship from the disorderly? It certainly is not an act of revenge toward those who have uh, fallen from the faith. So, you know, our motive must be pure. We must check our motive if we're going to, Engage in church discipline as a congregation, as as, as an individual, even um, if if it's a motive of of hate or malice, uh, as it says here, and it never must be exercised in a haughty or malevolent manner. The scriptures do suggest, however, that discipline has both a corrective and protective function. Obviously, it's designed to save the erring child of God. The Corinthian fornicator was to be disfellowshipped, and we read about him, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the, first, the, the Corinthian fornicator but was to be disfellowshipped so that he might be motivated to destroy the flesh, his ungodly fleshly passion, in order that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, the, the discipline is designed to gain the wayward, Matthew eighteen fifteen to make him ashamed, 2 Thessalonians three fourteen to the end that he may be restored. Uh, consideration of certain passages in 2 Corinthians leads to the conclusion that the church in, the Corinth, in Corinth finally did withdraw from the serious offender and that such brought him to repentance. Uh, Using myself as an example again, if you came to me, if Sean came to me and he didn't, couldn't win me over, he took two or three uh, to win, he, t- he took two or three to, um, with him to convince me of my sin and, and they didn't win me over. When? How long should it take? How long should it take before the church is involved? I mean, Sean's came to me. That was a day, right? And maybe a, a week later, depending on his work schedule, you know, he got to come on Saturday again the next Saturday. 
because that's, you know, his work schedule. He took two or three with him. You know, should it be the following weekend? What, what, when should it be? When should it be that I'm, I'm brought before the church and the church is told of what, what's going on with me? I mean, should it be months? Should it be a year later? I feel like an auctioneer. I, 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 got, I got next Sunday morning. What, what else I got? I got quicker than that. It, that's, the, that's, that's the rule, isn't it? That's, that's part of what Scripture says. It's when you're together. When you're together. So it would have to be the next time that we're together, wouldn't it? There would have to be some things talked about, wouldn't there? There would have to be some, some meetings going on, wouldn't there? Well, that's, and some would say that. Should, should you let that set for a little bit and stew? If you, if you left it for another week, would he change his mind? Right, I'm an example, yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way, I mean, you would look at it in the same sense that you would look at someone who's never been baptized. The urgency of it, right? And, 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 you know, discipline, though, point two on page six, discipline is not merely for the welfare of the rebel. We're, you know, it's not just focused on me. If I'm, if I'm the offending party, it's not just focused on me. The church is at stake here as well. There's more than just me at stake, isn't there? Look here, it says, it is for the protection of the church as well. When, punished, excuse me, when Paul admonished the congregation at Corinth to take care of the problem of the immoral brother, he warned, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6, the apostle elsewhere declared that those who cause divisions and occasions of stumbling by their smooth and fair speech beguile the hearts of the innocent. Two false teachers in the early church, Hymenaeus and Alexander, had made shipwreck of the faith. Hence, Paul delivered them unto Satan. He disfellowshipped them, 1 Timothy 1, verses 19 through 20, and uh, cross-referenced that with 1 Corinthians 5, 5, for the welfare of the brethren. False teaching, if allowed to go unchecked within the body of Christ, can eat like a cancer and cause the faith of some to be overthrown, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So... 
you know, not only do we have uh, the person, me, not only do we have me at stake, we have the rest of the congregation at stake as well. So we've got the individual at stake. We've got the, the church it's herself at stake. Look at point number three. Discipline is also important in the pre, pre, preserving the integrity of the church before the eyes of the world. So not only an inward look at the church, but also from those from without uh, looking at the church itself. Society has bias enough against us without having the legitimate complaint that we harbor evil within our fellowship we should never give occasion to the adversary for reviling. First Timothy five fourteen. If if I'm doing this, and if I'm doing this terrible sin, and you allow me as a congregation to continue in this sin, unchecked, and the outside world knows that oh, that old Chad Loveless he goes over to Fountainhead, he's a dirty dog. I mean, there's no more of a dirty dog than that fellow right there, and they just think he's the grandest thing. Obviously they do because they let him. They let him stay there. I wouldn't worship over there. He, Chad loves. He's a dirty dog. How can how can they do that? That's the outside world looking in on us, telling us that, judging us, judging the church. It is imperative that the conduct of the church be such that the name of God and the doctrine be not blasphemed. 1 Timothy 6 verse 1, and the way of truth be not evil spoken of. 2 Peter 2, 2. Yes, sir. Well, it would. <clears throat> well, I mean, if it's a, if it's a private sin that only you know about, right. let's say, um, um, I don't know, internet internet porn. Let's say internet porn, and and and, and you're the only one looking at it, right. and nobody else knows this about you. Maybe even your wife didn't know about this. How could you be disciplined? I mean, there'd just be no way. Now, if your wife knows about it, and you and you continue, and you, she tells you, I mean, 
I mean, she's your, not only your wife, but she's also your sister in Christ. I mean, I would believe that she would have an obligation as a Christian to come to you and say, this is not acceptable. And if you continue in it or not, then maybe she would bring two or three with her. And then you would be in that situation. You would get it into that situation. You would inject that privacy into that situation because you're not repentant. Let's say you say you're sorry. How many times are you supposed to forgive? Yeah, I mean, you know, but then you fall back into it again. You know, I'm sorry. Well, she forgets. You fall back into it. So go ahead. Yeah. First John 1, 9, yeah, if, if, if God is faithful and just, he'll forgive you of your sin, cleanse you of all unrighteousness if you're a Christian, you know. But if you continue in sin, it, there's no more sacrifice, the Hebrew writer says. If you continue in sin, there's, I mean, there's, only, there, I mean, there's not going to be another goat sacrifice for you. Jesus Christ is the last sacrifice. If you don't make it right here, it ain't going to be right. How much do they love you? Yeah? How much do they love you? How much do they want to help you change? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Not a rumor, no. Sure. Right then, yeah, sure. You better repent. I'm just kidding. Did you get answered? Yes. Okay. When? When should church discipline happen? When it's needed to, right? And as quickly as possible. Shouldn't be drug out. Say it again. As soon as it's obvious. And it's a and it's a case by case basis, isn't it? It gets down to case by case. These are principles, these are guidelines that we're going by. Where? Where should it be done? In private, in the church, in public, all the above? We've already, we've already looked at that. We've already looked at Matthew chapter 18. We looked at it extensively. You had a sermon on, on Matthew chapter 18. You know, you go to that person in private. That's, that's where it begins, correct? And then it gets a little more public, doesn't it? Then it may very well get public. It may very well get public. Uh, turn to page, uh, page 11 in your booklet. where it says, how should the final act be administered? Okay, this is, we're talking about the final act here, okay? We're, we're you know, we've gone past the point of, of uh, we've told it to the church and the person hadn't changed, okay? So, in every congregation where qualified men are serving as elders, it naturally would be the case that the eldership would lead the church in the withdrawal of fellowship from the unfaithful. Is that a true statement? Yes. 
Let me read it again. In every congregation where qualified men are serving as elders, it naturally would be the case that the eldership would lead the church in the withdrawal of fellowship from the unfaithful. They have the oversight of the congregation. Say it again. Would you say, Sammy? Leading everything in the church. That's the job of a shepherd is to keep the sheep from danger. That's their job. So his his statement here, you you agree with his statement? In every congregation where qualified men are serving as elders, it naturally would be the case that the eldership would lead the church in the withdrawal of fellowship from the unfaithful. Yes, Pat. He's already outed him. Um, How how many of you would be mad? How many of you would be mad if if today a fella came in and uh, he wanted to to preach to the congregation and, uh, and, and, you know, I sat down with you know, my family, and he got up here and he preached. And he told y'all that to be saved, you've got to have puppies and kittens in your home. That's what, you know, just something crazy. You know what I mean? He started preaching just false teaching. How many of you would be mad at the eldership for bringing such false doctrine into the pulpit? You know what I mean? Exactly. And shouldn't our elders also exercise authority over the congregation when anything goes on up here? Aren't we supposed to do everything decent and in order? We're supposed to respect our elders, it says in Hebrews. Right? Respect those who have rule over you. Honor those who have rule over you. Yes, Brother Parker. That's right. Let it be stressed, however, that disfellowship is not an elder act behind closed doors. It is an activity on the part of the entire church, and the formalization of the procedure must be enacted in the public assembly. 
Paul commands that the Corinthian Christians, by the authority of Christ, to deliver the erring brother unto Satan when they are gathered together. And that's where we were talking about, uh, uh, Sammy was talking about earlier, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4 is where that's found. Similarly, after the Lord gave instruction regarding the procedures for restoring the brother who had wronged his fellow, he declared, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Matthew 18 verse 20. Now, you know, a lot of people use that scripture and they say, well, me and my buddy, we're going fishing and where two or three are gathered together on Sunday morning, God is there in the midst. So he's there with us while we're fishing on Sunday morning. And they use and misapply that scripture when they do that, okay? Look, look, look at what uh, Brother uh, Jackson says. For Few people seem to recognize that this comforting promise is given within a context of exhortation regarding church discipline. Linsky has noted well, or well noted, since he, Christ, is thus in the assembly of the church or present when two or three are convicting a brother of sin, it is he himself who acts with his church and its members when they carry out his word by invoking also his presence and help. When you leave the church, the body, do you not just leave, did you just leave the fingers? Do you leave the hand? No, you leave the head too. You leave Jesus Christ. And without Christ, do we have any hope? When you are withdrawn from by the body of Jesus Christ, do you have any hope outside the body of Christ? You've got to be in Christ, don't you? Oh, how important it is. Oh, how important it is. Why? Why do we do it? Well, we've, we've talked about that. To save the soul, to save the other people in the congregation, to protect the church, to, to magnify the Lord to the world is the reason why. Now, why can't the withdrawn from person simply place membership elsewhere? Why can't they just go somewhere else? We've withdrawn from, we've, we've, you, you've withdrawn from me. What keeps me from just going somewhere else? Afraid. They didn't know what the Bible said. 
That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. Nothing could keep me from going somewhere else. Ain't nothing. Y'all couldn't stand, in, I mean, short of a gun. I mean, shooting me and killing me. I can go where I want to. Right? I can go where I want to. But would it be right? Would I be right with God? We got a bunch of problems here. We got a bunch of problems. We got a bunch of problems here. How dare you judge me? When you got this, I start naming them. This, 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 this. Let me pull my shoes off. Count my toes. How dare you judge me? Playing devil's advocate on you, okay? Why? How can you? How can you do that? How can you uh, discipline someone when there's so much else going on? Look at page 13 of the little booklet. In spite of the fact that the Bible is quite clean, I, should, I think it, he might have meant to put clear there, on the obligation of Christ's church to practice discipline upon impenitent members, there are those who... I don't know what that word would be. What would he have put there? We're writing this for him. There are those who speak against the responsibility even to the point of asserting that the withdrawal of fellowship is a violation of New Testament principles. Uh, some of the more common quibbles are offered are, no one is worthy to disfellowship another. How worthy are you to disfellowship me? What about the sin in your own life? How could you disfellowship me when you've got sin in your own life? The allegation is sometimes made that since no one is perfect, no one really has the right to initiate discipline against another. Commonly, John 8 verse 7 will be cited as a proof text for this idea. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Okay? Such is a woeful misuse of this passage. Two points need to be noted. First, the Jews had brought a woman to Christ whom who they claimed to have been taken in the very act of adultery. They wanted the Lord, the Lord to sanction her death, thus involving him in difficulty with the Roman authorities. However, though the Old Testament law had clearly stated that both parties in the adulterous union must be executed, these Jews had brought only the woman. Hence, they had ignored the very law they pretended to honor. Christ's statement, therefore, as quoted above, was designed to highlight, his, highlight this inconsistency. It cannot be employed to uh, militate against plain commands obligating the church to discipline the wayward. Second, Paul was not without sin, and yet he withdrew himself from evil brethren. 1 Timothy 1, verses 19 and 20. One does not have to be sinless in order to honor the, biblical, the Bible teaching on this vital, vital theme. Look, I don't know. There's a few of you I baptized out there. If I had to be sinless to baptize you, y'all's baptism worthless. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And as a Christian, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we've already mentioned it. If I sin, I can, God is faithful and just. If I, if I repent of my sin as a Christian, He is faithful and just to forgive me. When I, when I, when I repent. Yes, sir. Well, that's a good. Isn't that a good point? They bring the Bible and show this is the sinless one that wrote the Bible. This is the one that's telling you you're doing wrong. We're just bringing it to your attention, right? I mean, do you shoot the messenger? Right. Yes, sir. Everybody hear that? I believe he writes this. He says, no sane person, no sane person would say, well, we've been wrong in the past. Let's just stay wrong. Let's just continue on being wrong. You read on through, all the way through verse, uh, page 18. We won't, we won't go that far. We don't have enough time. You read on through page 18. It talks about others such as God, uh, leave, leave the tares for God. Uh, judge not. Uh, some people ask, ask, where is the love? Uh, some people say, well, what about him? You're, you're, you're focused on me. Well, what about him? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, how? I don't know if you have, have your big booklet. Turn to page 8 in your big booklet. Where it says, what is to be done? It's on page 8. What is to be done when a brother in Christ is guilty of sin and refuses to repent, but is still assembling with the saints? By apostolic command, we are to withdraw ourselves from that person, i.e. no longer associate with them or even sit down to a common meal with them. In addition... You do not have to wait 30 days and send a certified letter before you take such action. When such a one who is among you is delivered to Satan, his soul might be saved by your actions. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. When you refuse to keep company with such a person, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 14 through 15. There's an expediency to it, isn't there? Yes, sir.
Right. And what was so sad, you know, you, you read in, in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about what happened in 1 Corinthians, and we've read this in 2 Corinthians 3, you know, that a majority withdrew. So that means a minority didn't. There were some who didn't. A majority means there's a minority, right? Real quick before we, we're going to close this out. Remember, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who overcomes, that means there's something that must be overcome. There's a hurdle that must be, that must be jumped. There's a problem that must, be, that must be faced. There's a monster that must be slain. Whatever, whatever it is that's going on, there's something that's to be overcome. And Jesus Christ tells us in Revelation, it's a positive message. If you overcome, and it's, what he's saying there, it's overcomable. It can be done. Okay? Yes, sir. Okay. If someone is withdrawn from here and they're going to go down the road or the next town over and, and attend worship there, yeah. do we as individuals or do the elders, since the body is the body all over, it's not just it's meeting in different places, the body is one whole body, mm-hmm. what obligation, if any, do we or the elders have to communicate with that uh, congregation about the situation and the reason we left here? We talked about that last week, and we, you know, we we talked about, you know, uh, the case in in Oklahoma that that if you remember about the the, the woman who was uh, withdrawn from, and the eldership there sent a shotgun letter in a hundred mile radius to congregations. You know what I mean? And she sued that congregation and won for a defamation of character and stuff like that. I can't forget all the. It's, it's been so long. I wish I'd looked that up. I didn't do it though. But anyway. Um, you know, was that right on the part of the eldership uh, to do that? Um, if if it was me and you had withdrawn from me and I went somewhere else during that withdrawal, okay? Is the church just at Fountainhead? Where else is the church? It's everywhere in it. It's everywhere in it. And the church must be kept pure. Now, the Bible says you're supposed to mark me, note me, mark me, Romans, right? I'm supposed to be marked. Now, we look at the books of, of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Thess- 2 Thessalonians. We look at uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, all right? Those were letters that were written that warned of bad things. They, I mean, Paul wrote a letter in first, I mean, it was a letter, First Corinthians is a letter written to the Corinthians telling them in chapter 5, what we call chapter 5, who knows what they called it then, but it was, it, it was a letter that told of a man sleeping with his father's wife. Now, I'm sure that wasn't a common occurrence. And I bet you that fellow knew exactly who was being talked about. 
Right? Paul, a leader in the church, wrote to that congregation telling them how awful that was and how to deal with it. Okay? Now, he was an apostle. He was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But still, the Corinthian congregation was warned in that. All right? When the, when the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel, does that, can you go on an airplane? Can you go on a car? Can you ride a mule? Because it just says go, doesn't it? it doesn't, when it says note or mark, could I write a letter? Could I, could I, I mean, could I, you know, I think it, it there. There's nothing, my boss said way back when I sold copiers, there's nothing better than a face-to-face meeting. Nothing. You can look somebody in the eye and they can see your body movements and they can see your eye inflection and the inflection in your, hear the inflection in your voice and there's nothing better than a face-to-face meeting. So if our eldership went to their eldership and said, hey, we've withdrawn from him. Now, can our eldership tell that congregation what to do? No, they sure can't. But they can sure warn Yes, sir. Isn't that a loving, nice, calm way of handling things? Sure. Sure, Brother Parker. And just because he's left doesn't mean he's not under the oversight of the eldership. He's under the oversight of that eldership. He's just mad and left. Right? I mean, I mean, is your child still your child if they leave home? Sure they are. Yeah. Anybody else? We've got to close. Yes, sir. Danny. exactly right and before we leave I just want to make that that's a great point a great place to stop let's all have the right attitude and not take it this far let's just not take it this far let's not even get into these different scenarios and possibilities and what ifs let's not get there let's just make it right when we need to yeah we gotta we gotta have that together